0: Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Karen, and I'm here with my co-host, Nathan. What's up? What's up, Nathan?
1: Uh, you know, just going to talk to one of the best guys on the face of the planet.
0: It's a casual day. Yeah. Nothing big happening.
1: His name's Jerry Root.
0: All right.
1: And he's a C.S. Lewis scholar, and I love C.S. Lewis, which means I love Jerry Root.
0: <laughs> they are equal.
1: And the reason I love C.S. Lewis is because C.S. Lewis loved Jesus. All right. Jesus, juked everybody. Everybody.
0: Well, as Nathan said, we're here with Jerry today, and we hope that you enjoy our conversation.
1: Well, it's our privilege today to have on the podcast with us Dr. Jerry Root. He is the Director of Evangelism at the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton College. I heard Jerry lecture a few years ago, and I was just struck by how genuine he was and how, frankly, too, how effortless it's it felt like evangelism was for him. And so uh, just followed him since then. And then uh, last year was able to spend some time personally with him. And again, just kind of walked away from that time super encouraged and challenged in the way that I view evangelism. And so um, it's a real privilege to have him on with us. I think you're really going to be blessed by this time with him. So, Jerry, welcome to the podcast, man.
2: Thank you very much. It's great to be with you, and I love all that you're doing down there at Watermark. Blessings on you.
1: Uh, We really appreciate it. Well, Jerry, how did you get to Wheaton College, and how did you get into the role that you're in now, and kind of what's your story leading up to that?
2: Well, I I grew up in Los Angeles. I went to a church, but I, I didn't really hear the gospel there. I was told if I went to a movie and Jesus came back while I was in the theater, I'd go straight to hell. And I wanted to see Walt Disney's The Shaggy Dog, but didn't know if it was worth risking my eternal destiny to go see. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: When the neighbor lady came down and asked my mom if my brothers and I could go with her boys to see The Shaggy Dog, when my mother said it would be okay, I began to wonder if she really loved me, that she'd put my life in such eternal peril. (laughs) But I picked up from this that if I could lose my salvation based on what I did, I had to gain it based on what I did. And I didn't see how Christ figured into that equation. And I was always in trouble. So I just figured I was on my way to hell. And I was just making life miserable for myself and for those around me. And I heard the gospel when I was a freshman in college. I had an older brother who was a Christian. He took me to a meeting. I heard about Jesus' love for me, his forgiveness and his willingness to enter into the chaos of my life as Lord, bring order to the chaos. Well, I love that. Mm. And I want everybody to know, so I started sharing Christ with people and I started growing. I do not have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> and I, I want to make that clear because some people think if they don't have the gift, they are exempt from needing to share Christ with other people. Mm. Jesus didn't give this as a particular command to particular kinds of people he gave a general command when the holy spirit comes upon you you will be my witness witnesses he says to his disciples go and make disciples i have learned through my mistakes but i have continued to press into this even making mistakes because i think this is such an important enterprise so what, what i've learned about it i've learned through through trial and error a lot of it and so on but but I, I do feel like I've learned a lot. I was a, a good athlete. You'll, you'll have to take it by faith now, but I was an athlete back when I was in school. And and I was a good athlete, but I wasn't a great athlete. I had to spend longer in the weight room. I had to spend longer watching films because I had to be deliberate about it. But in the process, I picked up an understanding. I think I was a decent coach for many years because I picked up the understanding not by doing naturally, but by learning through my mistakes. And I say that because anybody can do this. The enterprise of letting people know that God loves them and forgives them is important. So anyway, I ended up finishing college and going on to seminary. Uh, I w- went into pastoral ministry for many years. Um, I got real involved with C.S. Lewis over the years. I've actually been studying him for 40, 48 years now. And I've been teaching college and university courses on Lewis for 38 years and lectured on him and. 73 universities and 17 different countries. And in, in, in his works I have, have shaped my life in many ways. But if nobody was interested in him, I'd still be interested because he opens more than wardrobe doors. So I would read about Lewis and then I'd read the books that Lewis would read. Uh, mention. The whole thing was a liberal arts education. And I found also with the entrance, interest in evangelism, the more I could know with general knowledge the more places I could connect potentially with any person I met on the street because I could learn to be interested in what they're interested or talk in some sort of reasonable way. So again, staying on the stretch as a Christian, growing and so on. Well, eventually I was teaching college and university courses for 16 of the 23 years I was a pastor. And finally I switched over and about 23 years ago I started teaching full-time. And I've been teaching here at Wheaton College, and also at Biola University. Um, I'm a visiting professor there. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is where I met you. But uh, let's let's talk about the thing that's really important, and that is how long you played football.
2: <laughs> I know I I, I played football to uh, some form of organized football till I was 44 years old. <laughs>
0: that is so impressive. <laughs> Man, I know, I
2: know, it's great. I was still able to bench with four hundred pounds when I was in my early forties. Crazy. But I can't I can't roll twenty five pounds now, so it doesn't make any difference what you once did. <laughs> yeah. It's always a good thing to remember. Dang. Once did doesn't mean anything today. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, um Lewis has shaped you and, and we'll we'll get into more of that later, but how did you come to be interested in him?
2: My older sister um, told me about him. When I was in college, I started reading his books. His, his, I started with the, the Narnian books, and I was intrigued by them. I wanted to find out about him. I read his Surprise by Joy, his autobiography, and he wrote about the deep longings he identified in his heart and his quest to find the right object of those longings. I knew the longings existentially. It was the first time I read anything where somebody talked about my interior life, <laughs> You read Lewis, and he'll take you to other books, and there are many other authors who talk about this, but Lewis was my first encounter. So I started reading him voraciously, and when I graduated from college, a person wisely said to me, you don't get a college education in college. All you do is lay a foundation for an education, and commencement, the graduation exercises that we call that. Uh, commencement in America, um, it means you're now going to commence your education by building on that foundation. This person said, pick an author who will take you places and make a life study of that author. Well, I think you could have picked a a composer, uh, an artist, a period of history, a country. There's a lot of things you could pick, but things that will branch out into other areas. I picked Lewis. I think I could have done worse and Lewis opens more than wardrobe doors as i said and i just start reading the books he'd refer to it was a liberal arts education for me yeah. and and so then i go to seminary and i have to write a thesis and there was no way i was going to write a thesis on the use of the optative mood in the greek text of philemon it wasn't going to hold mm. me
0: i don't think i even know what you just said so i
2: decided instead <laughs> i would write on i decided i'd write an, on cs lewis and and so now I'm putting pen to paper as well as reading. And pretty soon that opened up some other doors and I started cranking out some books on Lewis. Eventually I went on and did my PhD on Lewis and the problem of evil. And, uh, and, and it's just gone from there. I've been teaching Lewis courses for 38 years, like I said. Yeah, I love it, man.
1: Well, and good for you.
0: Lesson from that. Always be a learner been learning about this guy. for Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true Mm. because if you're not always a learner, you're, you're going to shut down intellectually. And if you shut down and assert anything, you're going to be a bigot. Mm. You, 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 you have to stay on the stretch. Always. We should stay on the stretch. Mm. I think it's important. And the other thing too, is if we're staying on the stretch, we'll enter into evangelistic enterprises where we're, we're, Asking good questions of people and so on and being interested in them as human beings rather than just trying to make them targets for our evangelistic enterprise. That's never good. Mm, We want to love on them in their unique situations. And so being a learner helps us that way.
0: Well, as we as we launch into the conversation on evangelism, so let's just start with some of our common motivations. So we don't want to necessarily, like you said, see people as a target, but what are some of the reasons that we begin to share Christ with others? Because some of the things that I'm seeing are uh, guilt, fear, shame as underlying emotions uh, that just tell us, hey, something's off spiritually. Uh, we see people who are Um, wanting to perform, that they're trying to gain accolades of some kind from their peers. Uh, We see people who are genuinely initially excited uh, about the faith, and that's why they're sharing. So, Jerry, what are you seeing as uh, some of these motivators for why people
2: share the gospel? If a person's sharing out of fear and so on, at least they're sharing at one level. Mm -hmm. So I I, I wouldn't want to, to throw a wet blanket over them. But I think I'd want to nurture them towards a more healthy motivation because um, as long as they're sharing out of fear or they're sharing out of guilt, it's still self-referential. It's all about them. It's not about Christ nor about the mission of Christ in the world. So never destroy. Have you ever had a perfectly pure motive for anything you've ever done?
0: Man,
2: I wish I could say yes. And if you waited till you did have a perfectly pure motive, you'd never do anything. Mm. So each of us wants to take the, the, the sparks that are there. The Bible says God will not put out the smoking flax. Um, he's going to fan into an, a, a flame, the embers that are there. So take the embers and, and see if we can help that person channel the passion they have in a, in a way that's properly motivated. And I believe one of the biggest reasons why we share our faith is we're overwhelmed with the power of the gospel is doing in our life. That means we always have to be mindful. And, and I know when I first started sharing Jesus, uh, the first guys I shared Jesus with, it was like three days after I became a Christian. I was overwhelmed. God loved me. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. God forgave me. I had plenty to be forgiven of. And I'm sure I didn't even know all the stuff that I needed to be forgiven of. But I, 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 I was overwhelmed by that. I want people to know that. I want them to know the good news. And it's still good news to me. Yeah. So I think the, the, the best motivations will be this growing mindfulness of our own brokenness, our own need for the love of God, our own need for his forgiveness, our own need for his lordship in our life, making order out of the chaos. And when we're aware of that, it's not self-referential, that turns us in all of our neediness to the God who meets us with his love, with his forgiveness, with his lordship, and so on. And I think that's the motive, really the biggest motive. And, And... and uh, it's, it's interesting to me because the pattern is manifest in Scripture quite often. Um, you, you have in Ephesians 4.12, for example, this verse that says that the role of the pastor-teacher is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that Greek word for equip, it's katartismos, and it's a unique word. It, it had many uses in secular Greek in the time of Paul as he wrote this, but primarily too, it was a medical term and it meant to mend the broken bone, set the broken bone so that it would have use again. And then it was a nautical term, rig the ship for full sail so you could get it out of the harbor and deploy it to do the very thing it was meant to do. So mend and deploy, basically. Mm. And, And as I think about this, the mending part, we live in a broken, fallen world. And, and it's a world with generational sin. And every one of us have been affected by the good and bad that have come, has come down to us, uh, since the fall. And consequently, this mending is important. And if I begin to see that the power of the gospel to help set me free and, 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 and make me whole again. I think it will be out of the riches of that growing awareness. My need for Jesus is not casual. It's constant. So you, you, you can look at things like, like um, even, even when God created Adam and Eve, he said, and for this reason the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two become one flesh. Well, there were no fathers and mothers at that time as I read that text. But he's saying this for our benefit later, and all of us, the sins of the parents are on the children's third and fourth generation. Now, the Bible's a balanced book, because it says just because the fathers eat sour grapes, it doesn't mean the children's teeth will be set on edge. It also means, though, we may be passing on goofy stuff to the generations that follow us, mm-hmm. but you have this kind of thing coming down, and uh, if, if you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, you honk the horn, that's one thing. But if twenty miles down the road you're still tailgating that person, honking the horn, screaming obscenities at them, it's not about them cutting you off. You've brought something from generational past, and it's being projected and played out in that situation. We do it in our marriages. We can do it in our friendships. We can do it in anybody that we we don't see eye to eye with, somebody who's of a different political persuasion, whatever the case might be. And and we've got to mend so that we're not bearing all that garbage with us. There there has to be. Some sort of transformation and it, and if I neglect that transformation in my own in my own spiritual development, my guess is my my interest in sharing the gospel will grow cold because I don't think it's really got any long-term play.
1: I think that you're touching on um a real need, I think, for some of the Christian subculture groups that place a high emphasis on evangelism that one of the inadvertent consequences of a high ethos for evangelism with people who are new to the faith or are ill-formed is that a lot of these motivations like i mean like you said nobody ever had a pure motive you know apart from Christ and uh and so we we come to it i, I think initially at least for me this was my experience i initially came to evangelism with a lot of excitement like you said I was like man tag gum I'm a sinner and god saved me and that's awesome you know like you should know about that too but the older that I and and the more that I grew I began to it was almost like a, a peeling an onion back you know the the more that I grew the more I began to recognize and identify other motivations like I'm afraid if I don't do this, that I'll be seen as a certain type of person. Or I'm afraid if I don't do this, then God's not going to be pleased with me, which was revealing uh, malformed, ill-formed areas of my heart. And then there's a lot of you know guilt and shame. And it, it can really go both ways. I mean, on, on one front, there's, hey, I'm, I do this all the time. And you can develop like a savior complex. Like, hey, God needs me. You know, like I'm, I'm the key to the kingdom kind of thing versus doing so out of a out of a heart that's been formed. And so probably quite a few of our listeners listening to this right now are going, yeah, I've got mixed motivations. Um, I, I haven't even thought about spiritual formation as a foundation for evangelism and you know, what what is God doing? How do I get to that spot where um, I'm not experiencing those things? And so you've talked about, this word in Ephesians 4.12 about mending and deploying. I feel like a lot of people get to the deployment part without the mending. And so unpack that for us. What does that look like?
2: Well, I think that they both are going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us is going, any of us will be able to say, well, I'm fully mended, <laughs> so now a I'm ready to go out deploy, to be right, right. Yeah, I the gospel. Yeah, even Jesus with the, with the demoniac in Luke 8, this guy wants to go with Jesus. He's fallen in love with Jesus. Jesus is transforming his life. And Jesus says, no, go tell your your family about what I've done for you. And the guy goes out and he tells the people in Decapolis, that's 10 cities. Jesus' follow-up program with him is get to the place where you're telling others about me. Now, I'm sure if he's been all those years in the caves, naked, screaming, cutting himself, and all that stuff, I'm sure he's got some... some uh, baggage that he's taking with him mm. but but as he starts to talk with people i also believe that he comes to the place where he is uh, discovering in the response of people the places where he still needs to mend you go out and share the gospel and these people you're talking with are going to mirror back to you mm. if you if your character is bad You don't stop sharing the gospel. You just recognize your character's bad and you go find how Jesus can change you at that place. If you have a fear, perfect love casts out fear. If you have a fear about sharing the gospel, then learn about that fear while you're sharing the gospel and say, Lord, there's stuff about your love that's still not completely formed in me. Please, I pray, help me to grow in your love so that that fear will go away. If you're feeling guilty, then there's something you haven't yet learned about his forgiveness. That's okay. That's all good stuff to learn. And my guess is you'll learn it more quickly. Um, You'll have a high learning curve if you're out sharing the gospel. Um, If if there's stuff you don't know, I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know the answer. Go out and share the gospel and people ask the, the, the question. That doesn't end the conversation. It invites you to come back and reopen the conversation when you found out a robust enough answer, a significant answer to their question, you probably won't ever get to the depths of any answer to any question because truths can always be plumbed more deeply and applied wide more widely. But you can go back to that person and say, remember when you asked me this question? I thought it was intriguing. You matter to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to leave a stone unturned until I could at least come back uh, to you with with a, a decent answer. And This is what I'm discovering. Mm-hmm. And and you reopen, it. you don't have to be afraid of questions, you don't have to be uh, motivated by guilt, but when those things occur, look at that, because God could be speaking to you about how you could grow even in these kinds of circumstances. And I think even throughout the Gospels, you're seeing uh, people growing in this regard. I mean, Jesus is deploying the disciples to go out two by two and witness in his own life, and they're coming back, and they're evaluating what they did. That evaluation is part of the growing process, too. And we learn. And if we make a mistake with somebody, we, we're, we're, we're too aggressive or we're not aggressive enough or something like this, we go back to that person. We say, you know what? I was thinking about that conversation we had the other day, and, and I really was a bit insensitive to, to what was going on in you. Will you please forgive me? And the reason why I want to ask your forgiveness is I wouldn't want anything I do to keep you from knowing how deeply you're loved by God. Or if you find that you're, you're picking up the pieces of somebody else who came and trashed this person, thinking they were doing kingdom good in the process, you go back to them and say, you know what, let me stand as a surrogate for that person who hurt you and ask your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a Christian, and I, I wouldn't want anything to keep you, again, from knowing how deeply you're loved by mm-hmm. God. But we're growing and learning in the process. I think while we do mission, we grow and learn. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that is something that is is not merely particularized to those with the gift. I think that's something that every Christian who takes their faith in Christ seriously can do as they serve Yeah, it Christ. reminds
1: me of a story that uh, a buddy of mine here at, at Watermark was working at a summer camp one time, and uh, he was teaching sailing. And all these campers are sitting on the shore with their life jackets on, and he's got the little instruction manual out, and he's, like, moving them through it, like, okay, this is what this is, and this is how this works. And he's he's teaching, you know, the, the uh, sailing class, and none of the kids are in the water, you know? <laughs> so... The the owner of the camp, the like director of the camp comes running down the hill and he he yells at my buddy Hey My Buddy looks up, he's got these big eyes, you know, going and all the kids are turning around, like, what's going on? This guy's sprinting down the hill. And he's like, hey, get them in the water. So he runs down and starts grabbing these campers and he chunks them in the water and like throws them on the sailboat. And the kids are out there trying to, you know, grab the sail and the boats are capsizing and kids are floating in the water. And uh, the camp director puts his arm around my buddy and and, uh, he's like, isn't that awesome? And then he looked at my friend and said something, I think, really profound. And he, he just said, you never teach sailing from the shore. And I think that that's what you're getting at is, you know, there's a way where the Holy Spirit is like, hey, I'm going to push you out into the water. And actually me pushing you out into the water is going to be this simultaneous mending, deploying, deploying, mending as I'm forming you greater and greater into the image of, of Christ.
2: I think that's a really good insight. And I think it's a great illustration. And Jesus said something similar He said, don't worry if the day comes and you're thrown before magistrates and asked to give an account of your faith. The Holy Spirit will be with you and he'll give you the words you need at that Mm -hmm. time. And I think if that's true before the magistrate when the pressure's on and stuff like that, we can trust that those same resources will be there, even in the gentle conversation that comes up at the workplace or across the back fence with the neighbor or something like that. Those resources are always available in Christ. And and I think your illustration about, yeah, get in the water, get in the water. If you're afraid of striking out, don't play baseball. But if you never play baseball, you'll never know the joy of hitting a home run, Get in the game. Yeah. And, and I want to say one more thing about that, too. Um, I, I think it works like this. When I, I, when I was in college, I started on the football team for three years. And I loved being on the field. Again, I wasn't the greatest athlete out there, but I was a good athlete. And I, I was a, a stable athlete and so on. But I loved being on the field. Coach had a game plan. If I wasn't going to abide by his game plan and I was going to do something different, run my own plays and stuff, he would have pulled me and put me on the sideline. But if I wanted to play, I needed to abide by the game plan. So I, I, I get in the game. I would rather be in the game than on the sideline. And the person who enters into this missional thing, they begin to sense that the winds of the Holy Spirit are filling their sails. They feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit to talk to this person or talk to that person person. If they sense they've done something wrong, they feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit to go back and set it right. And 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 when you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you start seeing things happen in your life that could only be attributed to God. Mm. And that's powerful. Yeah. That's very powerful mm. and empowering. And you begin to, to have your own sense of, of the work of the kingdom Going on in your life, uh, happening, and I, I don't know about you guys. I, I want to be in the game. That's
0: good. Well, I, I love what you're saying because as somebody who my own experience has just been uh, living in this fear of failure, I can look at situations like that and be like, hey, I don't want to step into that, so I'm going to avoid it. Like I'm just going to stay an arm's length away, then I can't fail And I love what you're saying because you're like, no, step into it. Like, be willing to take the risk because not only are you doing what the Lord has commanded you and sharing the good news with somebody who doesn't know, but the Lord is going to use that situation to form you. Mm -hmm. He's going to take what you may consider to be a failure and use it for his glory and your good. He's going to sanctify you. And that's so sweet of the Lord. It's just like him to take something that would be terrifying to us and use it to shape us.
1: Yeah, it's the perspective of what is failure. Yeah. And a lot of times in our minds it's it's uh well that, that was embarrassing, or they didn't or they didn't put their faith in Jesus or whatever. But when you look at it from God's perspective, it's like, man, I'm using all of this yeah. to shape and form you into the image of Christ. Yeah. So there's this underlying spirit formation driver that as people are stepping out in faith, they're being formed. And as they're being formed, they're able to step out in, in deeper ways and then be formed in deeper ways. It
2: it was interesting. David, David Brainerd, he was a a pioneer missionary to the indigenous peoples and was engaged to Jonathan Edwards daughter. He died before uh, he was ever, able to marry Johnson Edwards' daughter, but Edwards wrote a biography of him. And David Brainerd's prayer was, Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. Mm, that's so good. Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. And, and, and as long as I'm stuck in my fears mm. and insecurities or my guilt... I am being diminished from the kind of person God's making me into. If I incline towards the risks and if I incline towards um, stepping out, then that's where the growth begins to take place. You you cannot strengthen a muscle and gain girth if you're not exercising it. Mm. So I think that that's part of the deal, too.
0: So even hearing that that prayer of let me do something that is disproportional to who I am— uh, how how do we keep that motivation? Like we are so often hearing lies in our own head. We are so often uh, just being surrounded by culture that's telling us something different. How are we keeping the right motivation when evangelizing?
2: Well, I think I think we keep in the right motivation by keeping in the love of God. So, the culture tells me something's missing in my life and if I have this product it's going to fulfill me. Well, the product is something moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal how's it going to how's it going to fulfill me by virtue of its temporal nature i am at heart a, an eternal creature there's there's only one way i'm going to be ultimately satisfied if, if if i if i married my wife and expected her to do for me what only god could do for me I'll begin to project my disappointment on her because she didn't do for me what only God could do for me. And the problem is it wasn't her fault. It was my misplaced expectation. If I'm placing my expectation in the things that some marketer tells me will fulfill me, I I should have lived long enough by my age to see that these promises never come true. Mm -hmm. But here's God who says, no, I, I will give you something bigger. I will give you myself. Take me. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Take me, eat me. Jesus says to the woman at the well, I am the water of life that springs up into living water. I am the one who will fulfill you. I am the one who will forgive you. I am the one who will give you something that is so substantively sound to the fulfillment of your life. And so I think I need to live there if I want to proclaim with conviction that God could do that for somebody else. So I think that the biggest thing that keeps me motivated is to stay in the love of God. Mm -hmm. And if I feel myself drifting, don't beat myself up. Just go to God honestly in my prayer and say, God, help me. You, you know, it's interesting. In First John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Greek word for, for, for confession is the Greek word homilageo, homilageo, to say the same thing. When a person in seminary, is taking a course in preaching, they take a course called homiletics, comes from the same word. The goal is to have the preacher say what the Bible actually says, not just use the Bible like a ventriloquist uses his dummy so that he could express his own, thus saith the Lord across his opinions or something like that. To actually say what the Bible says, that's that class. So when I go to confession, I'm saying about myself what I know God already knows about me. The act of confession is to enter into the realm of self-awareness. It's to become self-aware. So I go to God and I say, you know what, Lord? I I think I've been distracted. I think I've been looking to things other than you for my fulfillment. Consequently, I think my love has grown a little cold. I know you love me, Lord. Sometimes I, 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 I don't know it beyond just head knowledge. But I pray that you would work it into the shoe leather of my life. Make it part of the very pulse of my of my veins. Make it the very breath I breathe. I want to live in your love. And as we live in his love, I think that these things just spill out of us naturally. I've never seen a person be offended by a grandmother who pulls out pictures of her grandchildren. She loves those kids. She wants everybody to see them. I've never, people, we all understand the sports fanatic who's always talking about his team. We've got our teams too. We get it. If a person is passionate about art, if a person is passionate about music, we get that. And I think that that kind of passion makes sharing the gospel natural and easy. So that's, I think, how we stay in the motivation.
1: Yeah, One of the classics that I return to frequently, at least once a year, is by Brother Lawrence, The Practice of the Presence of God. And that's one of the main takeaways that I always take away from that little book, is how he he so effortlessly, when he drifted from the love of God, he so effortlessly, like, well, he noticed it. And then instead of, you know, wallowing in a bunch of guilt and shame and, you know, dragging on and on and on, and he just kind of, like, uh, shrugged his shoulders and turned to the Lord. And like you said, um, he said the same thing that the Lord was saying and confessed and asked for help and moved on. And it... When I read him, it seems so simple, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and, uh, and I think it really is simple, but I think the simplicity of it, you recognize more and more as you consistently practice it, um, which is why he's talking about, you know, Hey, I'm every day I'm practicing the presence of God. And ultimately, like I've heard you say that that is the, the foundational truth for all Really, all Christianity, for sure, all formation, is a knowledge of and a walking in the love of God. And when that happens, I mean, motivation for evangelism takes care of itself.
0: Yeah, because even just hearing you say that, I think, man, that—he has a right view of who God is. Mm -hmm. Like, he really understands in a way that— He isn't distraught when he's drifted Mm -hmm. in a way that he understands, no, the Lord has always been there. I'm Mm -hmm. the one who's walked away, and he's the one who's been ever-present. And it's so sweet to think about the more that we truly experience and know God's love, the more pure our motivations will be. Well,
1: I think we recognize who we are, and that is we're crazy, needy, broken, wounded people that need Jesus like constantly. And that's not something that we should be uh, ashamed of. It should drive us. It should motivate us. It should push us uh, deeper into the love of God because that's where we find our mending and deeper deployment. We hope you enjoyed part one of three with Jerry Root talking about evangelism. If you like what you're hearing, then subscribe and tell your friends about it. And if you got any questions or comments, then email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. And we hope you tune in with us next week. Bye. Peace.